0: The way we engage with the physical world is going to completely change. VR and AR are an innately American technology. The US has a chance to continue leading in AR and VR, and we're not doing that.
1: Welcome to The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. I'm Matt Sanispert of the Mad Scientist team, and I'll be joined in just a moment by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, or subscribe to the blog, the Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Kathy Hackle, futurist and CEO for the Futures Intelligence Group. She'll be discussing the current and future state of augmented, virtual, and mixed reality, novel applications of these technologies potential vulnerabilities, as well as ways to successfully recruit the next generation of technology developers. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. Thanks for coming on, Kathy. I'm excited to be here.
2: All right. So as we talked about, you're a futurist, you're the CEO for Futures Intelligence Group, which is already pretty impressive but you've also worked for really giants in the tech industry, Amazon Web Services, Mozilla, Oculus, HTZ Vive. How'd you get into this field? And can you tell our audience... A little bit more about your fascinating background.
0: Yeah, so I've been in the virtual reality, augmented reality space, and most, you know, most recently in the futurism space um, for the past six years. Uh, I come from actually a storytelling background, so I wasn't really a tech person at that point, Um, but I started off my career in journalism and um at that point you know in my mind i was like i want to be you know a broadcast journalist i want to be you know a reporter an anchor what have you and my first one of my first jobs was working at um at cnn and it was watching all the raw footage that was coming in from the war in iraq so 2004 you know (laughs) around that time um and part of my job there was actually to flag any content uh, you know to flag content for the affiliate so i had to sit through you know things that are not very pleasant. I always say that I was a Facebook moderator before there were Facebook moderators because that was that was part of my job. So the reason I'm sharing this with you is because it's aligned to how I got my start in tech. Obviously, I had that role. So when you have those types of jobs, and I'm sure many of your listeners that I have served uh, can relate, um, you know, you kind of turn your humanity switch off maybe just a little bit or just turn the dial just a little bit, right, to kind of leave that somewhere and when you go home. Um, and it wasn't until I had my first virtual reality experience about six years ago that I, was, I didn't feel like I was able to turn it fully back on. I, I put on a virtual reality headset and went into an experience called Confinement by The Guardian. um, Yeah, it puts you in a a very small, solitary confinement cell, you know, a virtual one. Um, But within minutes, you know, within minutes, I I got overcame. I felt claustrophobic. I took the headset off and I said, wow, this is the future of, you know, I don't even know if it was storytelling or business or training or what my mind thought. But it was so realistic that at that moment, like I said, I feel like it was my, my switch fully turned back on. And I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then I did a very strong pivot into virtual reality and augmented reality, gained some technical skills along the way. I mean, I'm not super not, you know, I'm not a developer. I do not market myself as one. Um, But, you know, I did gain some technical skills along the way. And it's been six years since since that that important moment.
2: No, that's fantastic. And that's a great segue. When I looked at your background and I saw your, you know, kind of your approach to starting in media and and public relations and communications, how do you think that impacts how you research or or really how you approach futures issues? Does it change your mindset at all um, on how you approach those things?
0: I think that it's, it's given me a lot of skills when it comes to communicating uh, things that might be very complex to uh to, to specific audiences. You know, I've, you know, I speak in front of large audiences, I speak in front of, you know, do corporate workshops, I talk to, you know, people in the armed forces. So many different types of audiences, but what I try to do is try to explain it in a way that it's understandable for everyone. Um, and I think that that's something that the skills that I got from being a journalist and being able to tell important things in short, you know, in short, not sound bites, but making it easy to digest information, even if it's information that's very complicated, has served me really well.
2: I think that's a really important skill, even in any form of intelligence, as, as Matt and I have worked in over the years. You know, you talked about diving into um, augmented virtual reality. You know, we consider this mixed reality um, as a whole these are really, it seems like been up and down um, in terms of their popularity, their advancement over the last 10 years. Um, seems like we go through very, very uh, quick hype cycles um, when it comes to AR, VR. Um, is is the technology overhyped? Is it underestimated? Uh, and really what is it gonna take for it to be widely adopted and not just kind of a novelty?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, we've, in my industry we're always waiting for it to be the year of VR, right? <laughs> It's like this is the year. No, this is the year. So, definitely feel that, you know, we've been on this train and we're waiting for this train to really like, you know, go somewhere. But I do feel that during the pandemic, VR adoption in the enterprise side of things has been accelerated because there's a need, right? There's a need to be able to train people or to help people with repairs, uh, you know, in in a in, in a way where they're not necessarily present and the only technology that fully and truly allows you to be present in that, you know, at least have that sense of presence, let's say is VR. So you've got in in the spectrum that you mentioned, you've got virtual reality, right? And then you've got augmented reality and then mixed reality or what some some people call um, spatial computing. So it's really broad. So it's not just one technology, um, it's multiple technologies all under the, you know, we even use the term extended reality as an umbrella Um, for everything, you know, I think with AR, you know, what we've seen with augmented reality is a lot of adoption on the social side. So, you know, if anyone's listening to this and they've done any of the lenses on Snapchat or Facebook or seeing their kids do them um, or TikTok in this case, which has, you know, <laughs> become very popular with, with Gen Z and they're using all these filters to change how they look or, you know, whatever, that's all augmented reality. So there's been kind of this uptick in, in that social space and you're starting to see, you know, it's going to become even more important as we move forward, especially when you start to look at the signals of companies like Apple talking about uh, bringing glasses or, you know, augmented reality glasses to the market. Um, So what I tell people is this, we've been on this train, right? We've been on this like hype journey and, and people get really excited and, you know, there's, wins and fails, but it's slowly coming. Right. Um, The big thing for me is whenever the Apple glasses or whatever device it is that they produce comes to market, that'll be a big turning point for uh, for everyone. Everyone's going to be like, okay, Apple's in the game. I should pay attention. They should be paying attention now. But I think that that'll be for mass market a signal.
2: Now, we've seen um, Amazon came out with um, kind of smart-ish glasses. So this idea of kind of Alexa on your face, but we don't see the, um, you know, kind of the heads up display kind of thing. Um, is that a weak signal? Is that something we, you know, you think that could indicate where we're heading? Or again, you know, I'm, I'm just curious if we're in this novelty space still.
0: No, I think it's interesting because when we think of like augmented reality and virtual reality, the first thing people think of is visual right our visuals what's in front of your eyes and we forget about the other senses and i think that audio which is what the echo frames did and the bose ar uh, f- uh, frames did as well was augmented audio so you know If if you're wearing AirPods and listening to this, some of them have spatial audio. You're augmenting your audio, right? So augmentation of our reality is going to happen, not only visually, but also in our ears. So yes, it is a signal. It is a signal that, you know, we are going to be augmenting uh, the way we hear, the conversations we hear. Um, You know, for example, I I spoke recently in, in my podcast to a company called InSounds, and they do a lot of interesting work. They've done work with some of the tech giants. And one of the things that they're pinpointing is, being able to, uh, you know, through glasses, being able to zoom in on a specific conversation. So let's say you're at the restaurant trying to have a nice conversation. There's so much noise, but through the glasses and through the way they use their technology, I'm going to be able to kind of pay more attention to you and have that conversation. So granted your audience is probably a lot of people in defense and intelligence. So imagine that, you know, for the future of spying, um, you know, I think it's incredibly interesting. So yeah, just wanted to bring that up because I find it very relevant.
2: No, that's a great point. And I, I want to ask, um, just to pull on that thread a little bit. Do you think that there's a link between, you know, you talked about what it felt like to be in that virtual reality, to feel confined with just, just that headset. And do you think there's a link in the future, um, between our, our emotional well-beings and in, in using augmented and virtual reality. And obviously, you know, as you said, with a lot of defense uh, that listens to our podcast, I kind of start to think about things like um, treatment of PTSD and things like that. Um, do you see a relationship there between that human, emotional, psychological state and, and what mixed reality could be?
0: Yeah, there's definitely a big link into what you can use these technologies for when it comes to PTSD and helping people, you know, it's already being used to help people with phobias. So, you know, if you have arachnophobia or any type of phobia, you might be able to use this. Uh, Yeah, it's been used as well for um, not only for the caretakers of people with Alzheimer's to put on a headset and try to go into a world that kind of tries to resemble what the, the person they're taking care of, you know, kind of goes through because it's something really hard to, you know, to visualize and imagine unless unless you have Alzheimer's. So that's something that I find really interesting is being able to help them. Also for people with Alzheimer's, they're trying to work on how to use some of the memories that might be stronger and put virtual reality headsets on them and helping them kind of go through that. You know, even, I think it was GM, I'm not sure one of the companies was doing an experiment related to audio. So what they would do is they would uh, recreate the, um, the dashboard at some of their older models. And they would put all, you know, so all, some older people that had these models that were, you know, very iconic models um, and put them in there with some of the music from the times. And there were people that had Alzheimer's or some type of dementia, and it actually helped them. Most of them had very positive um, attitudes after the experience because it brought them back to a time that, you know, was still very, very much um, alive, you know, in their brains. So from a PTSD perspective, I think these technologies are incredibly powerful. Um, There's, you know, the, I think the VA is already talking to some VR providers about doing, you know, things with virtual reality in um, PTSD for soldiers so I think that's that's quite interesting um you know I I don't want to get controversial but I also think that there's uh, several companies that are combining VR and um silo- what's it called um not ma- magic mushrooms um psilocybin. Si- philo- yeah, psychedelic, psychedelics uh, thank you yeah psilocybin. Yes. I cannot pro- yeah. I cannot pronounce the word uh, but there's <laughs> there's a few companies that are starting to combine both of those to help people kind of get through Uh, Some some of the harder episodes of BTSD. So, you know, I haven't tried that and I cannot vouch for it. But um, I do think that is an interesting place when they study, you know, both the mind and uh, in what your eyes see. Right. Because if you're when you're whatever you see through VR, you're actually creating a memory. So, you know, it's positive and negative, right? But quite interesting if you think about, you okay, think about so it.
2: Okay, so Kathy is advocating for microdosing of mushrooms <laughs> and uh, mixed reality. No, I can um, No,
0: that's not really. I do know lots of people in the Bay Area that do microdosing, <laughs> but that's a different story because that's Silicon Valley. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. I do not advocate that. But <laughs> so, um, but I do think it's interesting when you start thinking about the study of the brain everything that could potentially be combined with emerging technology and some of these, you know, other other things that are starting to happen over here.
2: No, I think that's fascinating, and you know, you're so steeped in AR and VR and what's happening, um, really at the bleeding edge right now. What do you think is the future of that of that mixed reality? Um, is this going to start engaging things other than just as you kind of talked about sight and hearing? Is there a tactile a feel to it? Uh, you know, we've seen some things with haptic sensors. Um, how much is related to smell and taste and things like that? Uh, so where are we heading?
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've been able to experience a lot of these things already, like both smell and obviously, you know, the, ta- the, the haptics, all those things. So, I mean, it's a really interesting future ahead where the way we engage with the physical world is going to completely change. It's, it's the concept that I write about called the metaverse. And even though that sounds really sci fi you know, there's different words for it. Wired Magazine called it the mirror world. Uh, Facebook calls it live maps. You know, other people call it the AR cloud. I mean, there's different names for it. I, I tend to use the word metaverse because I used to work with Neil Stevenson at Magic Leap. And, you know, if anyone, if anyone's, anyone's a sci-fi person, they know who I'm referring to. So the concept of the metaverse is when the world becomes machine readable, likable, searchable, clickable. And in some ways, it's you know this one to it's this digital copy of the world that is um, updatable in real time, and it's in some ways the way I explain it to people is where humans meet the machines, right? That's where they, we're going to be wearing glasses or a wearable, we're going to be seeing data in front of us, we're going to be seeing all sorts of things, and uh, computer, you know, computers, cars, robots, whatever it is, are going to be seeing that data too, and they're going to be navigating our world, and we kind of meet in this in this weird place. Um, so as as weird as that might sound to some people listening to this, if you go and Google metaverse or mirror world, you'll understand that that's what every one of the big tech companies is working towards. So, um, so don't take it from me, right? (laughs) Take it from all these other giants that are actually trying to get to that next, the next phase of the internet or the spatial internet where we all engage with this, with this digital content.
1: I don't even know where to start because uh, the la- the last couple of questions, I mean, there's there's so much for me to talk about it's here. It's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. So, I, I mean, just, just based on what you just said there, you know, just thinking about it, if we get into that future and mixed reality is, I hate to use the term, but I'm going to use it anyway, ubiquitous. We think people are harvesting our data now. If you're in there, everything you do is essentially on some kind of a ledger, who you looked at, where you were, who interacted with you. And then I put my Intel hat on, and I think, well, how could you exploit this? And what happens when there's uh, there's not a lot of trust in the data, or if you manipulate something? That I mean, that's a whole that's a whole podcast on its own. <laughs> and then I and I think about what you said before about virtual reality, mixed reality, augmented reality. And I think about it like you like you said uh, visually. You know, I'm into virtual reality, but I'm also very cheap. So I have Google Cardboard, I have Nintendo Labo, and it doesn't really go beyond that but reality is the totality of the environment. So everything else has to be in there. That being said, this, that has nothing to do with the next question I'm going to ask you. I just wanted to to just show how, just from a couple questions, I mean, there is so much to discuss here, but I do want to talk about, Luke mentioned you're the CEO of the Futures Intelligence Group. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're trying to do there and what your approach there is when you're looking at the future?
0: Yeah. So it's, and it's fairly recent, you know, I've been kind of working on uh, on a consulting basis for a while but I decided like it's my time to kind of really go and focus this on, focus on this I had both companies in the private sector and then some organizations in the Air Forces reaching out wanting to work with me and I said this is my chance to do it right and as a woman in tech I was like well, okay I'm gonna do it it's pandemic i'm going to i'm going to jump ship and do this on my own so with futures intelligence we're you know we're a futures research and consultancy company and we're working to help companies with not only the innovation strategies that's something a lot of companies do but we're really focusing also on the emerging technology side and how to implement and deploy those technologies so we combine both things um you know it's been really interesting right now i'm working on projects from everything from fashion technology and the digital economy, like non-fungible tokens and all this crazy, you know, decentralized finance world, uh, all the way to uh, thinking through what is the future of intelligence, right? When the way we experience the physical world changes, because we have all this digital content in front of you, you know, what happens with the content that you have within your eyesight and within your range of hearing, like those are all considerations that you need to have and to start to think through, you know, it's not so much about hacking someone's reality, but it's like, what are the things that you're going to control that that could be controlled that it could be influenced? Because I think that's about influence and manipulation and it's going to be an even bigger conversation, right? Um, When we talk about the metaverse, and this is kind of very important. We talk about layers, so it's not like you're gonna have all the information in front of you, there's gonna be layers that you can access. So there'll be a history layer, there will be an information layer, there will be a security layer, there'll be an entertainment layer. So there'll be multiple layers that you will access through your device. So when you start to think about that is like, is a layer gonna be manipulated, right? If someone, if a country can manipulate a, the history layer, what history are they gonna be showing their people? Right. What actually happened in this place, you know, in front of this, um, you know, in this monument or or something. So there's lots of considerations there. Um, I wrote an article on the future of fraud that was related to, you know, fraud and and cybersecurity. um, That was quite interesting. But it means so many implications there. Like I can't even like you said, that's that's just like another podcast.
1: Yeah, this is really like the tip of the iceberg
2: here. She'll be back on because you're not getting away from us that easy. There's too much to talk about.
0: <laughs> and I'd love to come back. I think, um, yeah, I think, I mean, there's so, so much. I think about that. I think about the future of intelligence. I think about the future of spying. For some reason, that's something I've been thinking about a lot since I moved here to the D.C. area. Um, it, one of the reasons was when we were moving to DC about a year and a half ago, I remember reading an article that said there is about, you know, it was an article, I don't even know which publication. I was like WTOP or who knows. Um, And it said there's 30,000 spies in the DMV area. And I said to my husband, I said, that is okay. I'm sure. Yes, of course, there's plenty of people that do intelligence in this area for different countries. But how do they get that number? Do people check a box like that makes absolutely no sense. Like reliable data? I don't think so. So anyway, it's been something that I thought about a lot um, now that I live in this area, you know, and there's (laughs) there's just it's just an interesting place. Did you
2: not participate in the foreign spy census? The foreign spy census,
0: right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I was like, oh, this is such reliable data. They marked the box. like That is so ridiculous. Um, anyway, so yeah, I thought that was, uh, you know, I just wanted to add some humor because I found that found that article to be like ridiculous, but.
1: I'm totally deflated now. I was going to do the spy census joke, Luke, and you just pulled it. You pulled it right out from under <laughs> me. So I'm here
2: to do steal your thunder.
1: So, so Kathy, you've been named one of the 10 most influential women in tech, and you're an example to so many young women out there. We've been fortunate enough to have some incredibly talented and accomplished women on this podcast, but we we still understand and recognize that industry, government, academia, they haven't showcased or elevated the outstanding women in tech enough. Uh, The U.S. is still struggling to get more women into STEM, and we need those brains if we want to excel and compete in, in this global competition. So what can the nation and the DOD do to empower and enable more women?
0: to be honest and this is something i've been giving a lot of thought to is especially when i look at my children and kind of where the, the the virtual spaces they inhabit so my kids are all on roblox that that's their social network that's where they meet their friends like they don't instagram tiktok no i mean they're they're younger so their their place their like their social network is roblox so you know i've been actually talking to several agencies about how can you use gaming Right, as a place where you can meet some of these kids who are the future, the future uh, cybersecurity experts, the future, uh, you know, recruits, the future intelligence professionals. This Gen Z and this generation that's coming inhabits these virtual spaces. So why not deploy programs or opportunities to connect with them in, in these spaces and show how cool it is to be, you know, whatever whatever it is that you're trying to recruit for? Um, but yeah, I think it starts with meeting them where they are right? Meeting them where they are and, um, and a better understanding their culture and their interests so that the federal government can be better prepared for, for who's coming. I also think um, I'm going to be a little selfish here from the VR, AR perspective, and I'll, I'll share my thesis with you. Um, I feel that in the federal side of things, there's so much focus on artificial intelligence, and I think that's granted and that's merited, but I feel like there's such little discussion around AR and VR In the sense that, yeah, we talk about it for for training, for defense, and, you know, IVIS and all those sorts of things. But VR and AR are an innately American technology. They were born here in the United States. The godfather of VR, the father, and the godmother of VR are all American. And I feel that the U.S. currently is, in my opinion, leads in virtual reality and augmented reality, And we should try to keep that going. We should not, you know, South Korea just said they're investing, I don't know how many billion dollars in AR and VR. And I'm not saying that AI isn't important. It is. It's incredibly important. But I think that we're losing sight. I am at the train of thought that augmented reality, what we see through our eyes and through our glasses will impact the way we engage with the physical world and will impact society in a much more visible way than artificial intelligence at least you know artificial intelligence will have massive implications but what we see through our eyes will be impacted by virtual reality and augmented reality and spatial computing, which has a component of AI. But the US has a chance to continue leading in AR and VR, and we're not doing that.
1: I think you're exactly right on a couple fronts there, and, and specifically how to engage with the younger generations. Uh, you know, It's not it's not a correct approach to try to pull them into your arena. You've got to get into their arena where they're comfortable and go after them. So uh, along that same line now, what, what are we missing? What are the Army and DOD not thinking about or paying enough attention to? And I know your previous answer was kind of they're not paying enough attention to the AR and VR aspects <laughs> of it. but what other what other things are we not are we not seeing right now?
0: I think my biggest thing is that is like we as a, as a nation need to continue leading in AR and VR. And um, I feel like that conversation is not necessarily happening. Um, I hope that changes, right? I really do hope that changes. I mean, there's uh, the, there's a reality caucus on the Hill. Um, you know, not that sounds funny, a reality caucus, but it's the virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality caucus on the Hill. Um, and then there was a, a bill called HR 4103 that will, I think is gonna be reintroduced um, during this new Congress. That is, um, it, it's, it's a bill that looks to use virtual reality and augmented reality uh, to train and retrain uh, federal workers. And I think that that's important um, as we look at you know what is missing. I think the missing is thinking through reskilling, upskilling workers in the world that we're gonna you know that we're moving into. Where reskilling workers is going to be incredibly important as technology accelerates some changes and, you know, some jobs will be lost. But what do we do with all these other workers, right? So retraining and training using these emerging technologies is incredibly important.
1: So now I want to give you a chance to uh, kind of give some advice to the generation that we were talking about. So let's say you're talking to kids who are in high school, middle school, even elementary school. What advice do you have for them? Why should they want to work in this field?
0: I think it's about motivating them to understand, you know, especially with my children. I look at my children, there. They're 10 and under. They want to change the world, right? They, they want to have an impact. I think the word is impact. They want to make a difference and have an impact. And I think that if we really present it to them as you can actually make an impact, that'll be really exciting. You know, that will be kind of motivational for them. I think even like I said, meeting them in Roblox and whether it's creating game or doing something that actually showcases what they could potentially be doing. Uh, you know, in a, in a fantastical way, of course, because it's a video game, but doing something where actually they get motivated and they're like, oh, wow, it could be so cool to be X instead of oh, it could be so cool to be a YouTuber. Nothing against that. If, you, if your kids want to be YouTubers, which I'm sure all of them say they want to be. Um, but why don't we present it as something cool as well and meet them in these virtual worlds And say you can have an impact and do this something really interesting.
2: No, I love that. And uh, I'm going to pass your message to my kids who desperately want to be YouTubers.
0: My kids say that too. They're like, "Hmm, I don't know, I want to be a gamer or a YouTuber. But then my oldest one says she wants to be a, get this, lunar food scientist. Lunar food scientist. I'm like, yeah, you go, girl.
2: I am all about that. I will hire her as a uh, executive chef on the lunar base uh, that will be on with Elon Musk. So yeah, uh, so you know, just transitioning to some of our rapid fire questions um, and take your time with these. But I I assume I know maybe the answer to this one already. But what technology or trend keeps you up at night?
0: Brain computer interface.
2: Oh, see, she didn't say AR
0: VR. No, that doesn't keep me up at night. I think brain computer interface, and this is why for those of the, for for those of you guys that are listening, it is you know um, a technology that uses your brain waves and your intent, reads your intent and your brain waves to kind of figure out what it is that you want to do. Um, so you know, a lot of people hear Neuralink, which is more of an internal implant. Um, I've been able to demo about four of the external devices, and. It's something I'm still sitting with the fact that I've been able to demo these to scroll an iPad with my thoughts, turn on lights, put an in put an input a code, play Duck Hunt using just my brain, like crazy stuff that I get to do. But the thing is, like my brain actually really, really likes it. Like it's a workout for the brain. And I'm still sitting with that. I'm like, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? I um, mean, you know, I'm a, I'm, I am tend to be very optimist, um, you know, more of a protopian <laughs> a person, not a utopian, but protopian. So, um, So, you know, I, I still think like my brain really likes it. Like if I talk about it, like I can feel the sensor, like just things lighting up. Like I want to go and work my brain out, like do those, you know, do stuff with my brain. So yeah, it does, you know, if it were gonna keep me up at night, it would be that.
1: What was the name of the program you mentioned earlier in the show, the confinement one?
0: Uh, yeah, it's confinement by the guardian.
1: That's my answer to this question now. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. <laughs> All right. Now, uh
2: what is something about you that you're willing to share on air uh that most people might not know?
0: Oh goodness. Um <laughs> how embarrassed do I want to be? Uh <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, you know, many of the people listening to this might get a a kick out of this. So when I was growing up, I was obsessed with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, And I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to admit it. I watched, you know, uh, you know, Bloodsport and Lionheart like, and uh, Time Cop. And (laughs) um, my my guy friends thought I was the coolest girl because I would sit through all those movies with them. But yeah. Um yeah, I don't know why. I think he was a dancer and um I was a dancer for many years and I he resonated the combination of uh dance and martial arts. So anyway, I'm not I'm not too uh too ashamed to admit it. So there you go.
2: Okay, so the next uh ARVR company that wants to get on your good side is going to create a program with Jean-Claude Van Damme. A
0: virtual JCVD, yes. Send me a virtual <laughs> JCVD, I'm good.
2: Um, okay, so, and and this might relate as well too, but this tells us a lot about our guests. What is your favorite movie?
0: Goodness, that changes all the time. <sighs> I don't have one favorite. I mean, right now, right now I'm over and, I, you know, I'll say this. I don't know if it's my favorite. Okay. But I would say that right now the one I'm kind of thinking through a lot is her um, because of the Amazon Alexa ad um, that came out for the Super Bowl in in February. Um, So yeah, I talk a lot. I have a lot of conversations, a lot of weird conversations about embodiment of virtual agents and virtual assistants. So, um, so yeah, I've been thinking a lot through what our relationship as humans is to virtual assistants and virtual beings, right? Um, and people that are watching this might relate. Like to me, you know, my virtual assistant, I don't want to say the name because I don't want to wake her up, um, is a gadget, right? But to my kids, it's a friend. It's someone that they get questions answered and get advice or, you know, whatever. Um, so I think our relationship with these virtual Assistance is is a really interesting topic.
2: No, that's a phenomenal answer. I I feel the same in terms of having watched her and thought um, this changes. It's a good explanation sometimes about how we interact with humans and machines. Uh, And one of the things I've kind of talked about in other venues of man-machine relationship that we talk about. Um, and it not being just like, okay, I'm used to working on my computer and it's customized to the way I do things. No, like truly a relationship that's built upon either trust or distrust or um, very similar to the relationships we have with each other. So I thought it was a fascinating movie. It was a great answer.
0: And, and to that point, so I just recently keynoted an event for the Navy. Um, they have a, a big, it's called Terra 3M and it's their virtual reality, augmented reality for manufacturing um, and maintenance conference. And my whole talk for them was a keynote on the synthetic future ahead of us. And then, you know, part of it is virtual beings. And I talk about all these things. So um, it was
1: well-received. It was weird, but well-received. Can we we ask a follow-up question then? What's your favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme movie? And why is it Street Fighter?
0: Time Cop. There you go. I don't know why it's Time Cop, but it's Time Cop.
1: (laughs) That's a good one. I'll
2: go with Cyborg. That's (laughs) that's my
0: favorite. That's a good one too.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, this has been... A fascinating conversation. Matt and I said we could, we could hang on uh, and talk to you for about three or four more hours at least um, about all this. But we know you have a lot to do, so I want to ask: uh, Where can people uh, follow you at?
0: Yeah. LinkedIn, I think is my number one place. I think Luke, that's where you found me. Uh, Yeah. Kathy Hackle, C-A-T-H-Y-H-A-C-K-L and LinkedIn and across social and yeah, feel free to reach out. If this resonates with anyone, please reach out.
2: Kathy's going to be inundated because this was absolutely fascinating.
0: I had a great time. So please, please, you know, please bring me back. I would love to do a second episode with you guys.
2: Absolutely will. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Kathy.
1: Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guest, Kathy Hackle, futurist and CEO for the Futures Intelligence Group. You can connect with Mad Scientist through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, and don't forget to subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil.